Good day to be in God's house. Amen. The kids, did the kids go to children's church? Good, because for this sermon, they need to be there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I tell you, I've been preaching for, um, I graduated in 95. It's been a long time, like 27 years, right? So I don't really get nervous anymore, you know, but today I'm nervous. <laughs> so, you know, when your stomach starts, you're like, yeah. Um, so part of the reason why is just from a pastoral point, oh my word, no, we're too early in the sermon. Here we go. From a pastoral point of view, you know that some things are painful for people. The thing is the word of God is true and it is good. So we need to know what he says so we can align our lives to what's true. But sometimes when you look at what's true, we get reminded of the way our lives have not been lined up to it. And so, Thanks, Dave. Okay, so uh, our culture is so far removed from what God says is moral and good and right, right? The way of righteousness that brings blessing, that to preach a sermon on things like marriage or family or human sexuality, it means that most of the room um, is going to be able to say, even if at this point you're like, I'm following Jesus, there's probably stuff you could be like, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I? wish I hadn't, regret, 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 right? It brings up so much of that for people. And so, um, and then for some people, they realize, oh, they hear things for the first time, and they're like, my life doesn't line up with that at all. And then they've got to make a decision about lordship. Is he going to be lord or not? And that's a painful decision, right? So I just, I, in these subjects, I think there's a lot of pain for people, and so I get, you know, just, uh I think we need to land in the right place. And the right place is for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, listen, because he's preaching to them about divorce and marriage and all kinds of sexuality. And um, so people began to say, well, what do I do now? Do I divorce this wife and go back to that? What do I, how do I do it? And Paul was like, listen, stay where you are, <laughs> right? Like, you can't go back and undo the things that you didn't do right or you didn't do in accordance with what he said. But when you hear the truth, and maybe it's a truth you, shouldn't, right, you just didn't act on before, but at this moment you can decide you're Lord. And I'm going to do stuff your way from here on out. Stay where you are, right? So you can't go back and say, maybe I've got to go back and untangle and undo, and you can't go back. You can't go back. And there's only condemnation in that. Now, you might find there are some things that God prompts you to say, hey, here's a way to tie that up properly. Okay, good. But it shouldn't be out of condemnation. You see what I'm saying? So... Uh, we're continuing with the story. We're working our way from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we've been in Genesis chapters 1 through 3 for a few months. 
because we're just hitting it once a month, and then for Christmas, we couldn't. So um, here we are. So um, we are in Genesis chapter 2, making some progress today, and we're going to deal with some things that have to do with family, marriage, human sexuality, and it's going to take us a couple of weeks. We're going to land tomorrow, next week in some harder territory. Just a warning for you. Okay, so um, I'm going to start here with Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Everyone in the room just breathes. Jesus, you're good. There's therefore now no condemnation in you, right? There's no condemnation. If you're in Christ, okay. I just, I can feel the heavy and I, it's going to lift at a certain point. 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So keep in mind, the fall of man doesn't happen until chapter 3. Okay? We're in chapter 2. So Adam hasn't sinned. So Adam has unbroken relationship with God at this point, right? They walk and they talk together. And what does God say? It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Well, isn't that strange? He's not alone. He walks and talks with God. He has unbroken relationship with God. Before the fall, God realized, he already knew, this is for our benefit, it's written down, you need human beings in your life. Even Casey. <laughs> you, <laughs> you need human beings in your life. So, Everything finds its resolution, the cross of Christ, right? Christ is our all in all, right? We say these things, but I mean, just hang with me for a second. Clearly, just doesn't actually fulfill everything that he's made you for. I know that that can feel, wait a minute, he's all I need. Yes, for salvation. Yes, for new life. Yes, is he primarily where you're getting? Yes, but he made you for a relationship with people. And if you find yourself on a desert island with nobody but God, you're going to get through with God. But that's not how he made you, to be an island. He made us for human relationship. With an unbroken relationship with God, he says, the man is lonely. He needs a person. He needs a wife. Not good for him to be alone. Now, marriage isn't the only way to not be alone. Right? In Corinthians, Paul commends people who are single. He says, hey, for those of you that can stay single, you can produce a whole lot for your lives. And he actually, like, that's an honored thing. So I'm not trying to say, like, marriage necessarily has to be for everyone. But it is the primary way that God has made creation flow. Not the only way, right? The primary way. Not good for man to be alone. I will make a helpmate suitable for him. Now the Lord, and when he says helper there, the word is helpmate, is what it is. It's a very specific word in the Hebrew. And the only other time that word is used in the Hebrew is to talk about how God comes alongside man. So he's not talking about, I'm going to make him a little helper, little helper <laughs> who's beneath and under and right because the word helper I think in our right kind of sounds a little bit patronizing. it's not 
The only time that word is used in Hebrews is to say when God comes to help us. So he's going to make him a powerful partner. I'm not saying there isn't an authority structure. I think clearly from Peter and Ephesians you can see there is, but clearly this is a powerful person God is going to put with Adam to partner with him in the work that he has to do to subdue the earth. Nineteen. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave name to all the li- names to all the livestock, the birds, the sky, the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping... He took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Um, now, I know a lot of people mythologize things in Scripture. Um, I don't know how you read that, and not say, I mean, it doesn't just say like woman came from man. He took the rib and he closed up the flesh. I mean, it's a pretty specific description that woman has come from man in this very physical way. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Men actually have one less rib than women. Did you know that? And it's not like this is some kind of fanciful story to explain that. Um, I remember my brother telling me a story from his science teacher. Um, the science teacher taught with him. This has been years ago, maybe 10 years ago. But, you know, the, um, if I say it wrong, tell me, Craig. But in the DNA sequence, right, there are ribs of DNA. Do you know in the ribs of DNA, men have one less rib than women? That's interesting. But on a cellular level, possibly God, I don't know, that's interesting. They couldn't have known that then. Just interesting fact, right? But we have this idea that there's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That there is a connection between us, right? That's more than just separate creation. That we are deeply connected as human beings. And that when a husband and wife come together, clearly there's still two people. And yet they make one. Like, for Mitch and I, there isn't just Mitch and I in the marriage. Our covenant is with God. But we've actually made a marriage. And that marriage is actually a separate almost thing that's as important as either of us. If you think about your friendship circles, right? If you're married, um, what happens when a divorce happens? The friendship circle gets torn apart, doesn't it? Because it was based on that marriage. How many of you have seen that happen? People tend to whew, kind of tear things apart, right? Our marriage produces things that neither of us could produce on our own. Mitch has friends in his life he never would have had because he's married to me. And some of them he may wish he didn't have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he does, 
which has changed his life, right? It changes the trajectory of his life in some ways. We have produced children that we could not independently produce. And nobody else in the world could have produced the children that we produce. It uniquely comes from us. Made in the image of God, uniquely taking on our characteristics. Nobody else can produce that. Ephesians 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Think about that. Every family on earth derives its name from him. Some of you are reading through Luke with me right now. You're in part of the Facebook group going through Luke. And when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, you go all the way back, where did it stop? And Adam came from God. Your family, what you produced, derives its name from him. That's very cool. I don't know, I think that's really kind of astounding. Every family on earth derives its name from him. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of God's fullness. Wow. Okay, so there's, those are verses we're going to come back to again and again today. First thing I want us to think about. The government of heaven is family. The government of heaven is family. Family is not just a phenomenon we have here. The government of heaven is family. There is the Father, there is the Son, there is the Holy Spirit. And look at how they're described. The Father, when you pray to the Father, what are you typically talking to him about? I know what I talk to him about. When you happen to name Jesus, what are you asking him about? What are you talking to him about? When you're talking to the Holy Spirit, what are you talking to him about? I know how it is for me. When I'm praying, Father, right, as Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name, I'm usually talking about provision, security, protection. This mir mirrors very much fathers on earth, doesn't it? Security, provision, protection. Now, I'm not saying that women can't bring security and can't provide in any way, can't bring protection, but I'm telling you what, we didn't have to... My children were too young to understand gender stereotypes before it was very clear they looked to Mitch for security and protection, for sure. I don't know about provision, even though clearly he's the primary breadwinner in the house because I don't know who always say yes. So when it came to stuff, they kind of came to me. But I'm just saying, you didn't have to teach our kids security in dad. They felt more secure when he was around. If they were scared, they did not ask for me. They asked for him. When I was a kid, and even into my teenage years, um, I would get scared at night um, <laughs> sometimes and kind of scared at bedtime. 
scared of the dark. I know some of you, you, you know what I'm talking about. Don't judge me. Um, in fact, there was one time, Shanna would get scared of the dark too. I was not alone. Shanna was scared of the dark too. I mean, and we were teenagers, like could drive teenagers and we get scared of the dark. One time we were working each other up in the house and I was like, did you hear that? Like, oh, did you hear that? And we, were, <laughs> we got really afraid. So we turned like all the lights on in the house, but we kept hearing stuff. We were sure like somebody was coming in to kill us in the house. And so <laughs> we got knives out of the butcher block and there was a family from the church that lived like down the block. And I mean down the block, like the block was like a quarter of a mile down the end of the block. <laughs> we ran out of the house didn't even close the door behind us with knives in our hands. And we show up at these church people's houses with our knives. We're like, can we hang out with you guys so our parents get home? You remember, you remember, Craig remembers, he came home and he's like, the doors are open and the lights are on. What's going on? Yeah, we had fled. We had fled in fear. Ridiculous. But I can remember, sometimes my dad had meetings in the evening, board meetings and things, and I can remember, even as like a teenager, as a kid for sure, as a teenager, I can remember if I was going to bed, because I don't know, come on, the 80s, every single TV show is about a kidnapping or a rape. Every single TV movie was, you know, so it's in your consciousness. Um, anyway, um, I can remember, if it, I was like getting ready for going to bed, I would feel that like, kind of, you feel a little scared. But if I heard my dad's voice, I immediately was like, oh, dad's home, okay. Right? How many of you can relate to that? It just, it is a natural, it is a natural thing to feel security in a father. This is a very natural thing, right? Um, you have the son, father, son, government of heaven is family. You have the son, father, son, if you think about how Jesus is described in the Bible, our advocate, the son, Jesus, we don't relationship. You have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? The son very much mirrors the idea of um, friend. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, right? This idea of Jesus is our savior. He clearly is God and we are not. But there is this sense of how we cling to him. We're joint heirs with Christ. We've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. He advocates for us, right? Come on, nobody will advocate for you like, like a family member will, like a sibling will. You might fight like cats and dogs at home, but somebody picks on you on Facebook, oh, they're all over that. Like somebody picks on you at school, right? Not, you're not going to treat my sister that way. You're not going to treat my, right? Family will fight for you. They might fight with you when the doors are closed. But man, how many of you talking about? Family will fight for you. Someone's coming against you. And you have that sense, right? Jesus is our advocate, advocating for us. We see that very much mirrored in our relationships here on earth. The Holy Spirit. Think about the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's a woman. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying if you think about the attributes of the Holy Spirit, he's our comforter. It's very nurturing. Read through um, John 14 and 16. Very nurturing aspects of God we see in the Holy Spirit. He's our comforter. 
He leads us into all truth. There's this very intimate sense of walking with us, speaking to us, nurturing us, comforting us in pain. When we don't know how to pray, he's he's groaning with us, right? When you've got that like cry that like you're not even, it's not even coming from your throat anymore. It's coming from the pit of your stomach cry. The Holy Spirit's groaning with you in words that cannot be uttered, right? There's this sense of intimacy and closeness and nurturing we have in the Holy Spirit. If you think about our family relationships, we see these very much mirrored in the family of heaven. And really, our family relationships are a mirror of what we see in heaven. The government of heaven is family. Now, let me just say, in our earthly families, we get glimpses of that that then reflect on God. So if you have, like my sons, have an amazing father. Their ability to relate to Father God is going to be greatly increased because Mitch was their dad. They can see qualities of their heavenly father reflected in him. It is going to help them and their relationship with God. Right? If you have a mom who's a believer, she's going after God, she's passionate about God, this is going to help you feel an intimacy with God. Welcome the Holy Spirit into your life. This will be very helpful, right? All these ways our family mirrors God helps us then reach out to God. It brings him glory. And it teaches us how to establish family here on earth. Now, we were raised by and lived with in sibling relationships human beings. (laughs) Human beings. Human beings can't give you every aspect of God. Human beings aren't going to give you everything you could have had that could have reflected God. Right? They're going to give you a part. And so the last thing we want to do is say, well, if only I had a better brother and sister, I could relate to Jesus better. Right? That's not good. If only my parents had done better, I wouldn't be struggling. If only they'd made a better decision. If only my mom had been in the picture, my dad had been in the picture. Right? You'll spend your whole life upset about the thing you didn't get and miss all the things you did get. All those things are to point you to God because he is the true father. He is the, he's providing the true family. And so in whatever ways your families could point you to him, be thankful for it, and get everything you might have missed from him. Because no human being can give it all to you. Are you with me? That's actually crucially important. Because this gift of family he gives us to reflect who he is will become a noose around your neck if the demands you place on people are demands they can't meet. Are you, are you good? We're all, we're all together? Or the enemy can tell you, hey, things aren't going to go well for you because you didn't have this and your mom. You didn't have that and your dad. You didn't have a sibling. You didn't have, or they treated you, right? And that's a lie. Because God can fill in all those blanks.
or undo things that should be undone. I have a friend who is amazing. She's amazing. She's a lead pastor in Missouri. She's in my preacher girls friend group. Um, her story is amazing. She's from Korea. She's maybe a couple years younger than me, so like late 30s, early 40s, somewhere in there. Um, but she grew up in a really difficult home situation. It was Buddhist, but like really nominal Buddhist. And there were men in and out of the house all the time. Like not good men. You know what I mean? Not good men at all. Her mom ended up taking her and her sisters to the UK illegally when she was a teenager. They got busted as illegal immigrants, got sent back to Korea, and they were like on the streets. In that condition, her mom found this American dude who was over in Korea. And the guy was a creep. I mean, creepy creep. Um, and so the mom brought her, him into the... It, it was a place to live. She got her kids off the streets by marrying this guy. But if you could imagine all the terrible things a stepdad could do to stepdaughters, this is that, that guy. And he was awful. He had been raised in a Christian family, but had turned his back on God. And so he knew a lot of scriptures and things. And he knew scripture was powerful. And in Korea at that time, in the 80s, 70s and 80s, Christianity was exploding. And so he knew scriptures were powerful, so he would gather people to preach to them and pretend to be this holy righteous guy because he knew he could make money off of them. So the Bible talks about beware of charlatans. Literally, this guy was a charlatan. He was not, it was all completely cynical. He didn't, he wasn't following Jesus, but he knew the word was powerful. How many of the word is powerful? Some of you have had like bad church experiences where someone had a moral failure or whatever and you, you're like, what does this all mean? Listen, God can speak through terrible people sometimes or people that are like compromised sometimes because the word itself is powerful. And so he would preach and preach and then he, they'd take up these offerings and so he was making money off the gospel basically and these little tent things he would do and the girls would go around and take up the offering and stuff and they all knew it was a fraud. My friend say he, she knew it was a fraud that he didn't, right? And he would tell them how to coach them, how to cry in front of people and how to, yeah, so, so bad. But listen, this is crazy. Um, I shouldn't tell, I shouldn't tell like really sad stories when, okay, in hard sermons, but I'm gonna, okay. She'd never heard the gospel before. She'd never heard scripture before. And so he'd be preaching and she had this part she's supposed to play. But the, the word of God actually began to work in her heart, even though she knew he was a charlatan. And she ended up getting saved for real because the word of God was so beautiful to her. And God became so beautiful to her, and all she was hearing it through was the words of what she knew was a charlatan. And that's how she got saved. Come on! That's just unbelievable to me. And so she was sharing her story, and she ended it this way. I thought it was so beautiful. She said, I can never be in the same room with that man again, and my children can never be in a room with him. But I will be eternally grateful that he introduced me to Jesus, even though he didn't love him. And that's, that's the... That's the, that, that, is, that is where she's positioned her heart. Here's the one thing I can be thankful for, and I'm going to do it. 
knowing exactly who this dude is. I don't know. That's powerful. Listen, take the good that you can from relationships. Be thankful for those things. And then let God fill in the rest. Sometimes he'll bring people into your life that help to fill in those gaps. Sometimes it's the Lord himself who's a father to the fatherless, the Bible says, who's a husband to the widow. Come on. He's not going to let you down. So, our earthly families reflect this government of heaven, which is family, but they'll do it imperfectly. And we're going to be thankful for what was good. Listen, the fact that say he can take a thing from that, I don't know. I don't know. That's just amazing to me. Amazing to me. So we want to honor what we got from family. Second thing. Not only is the government of heaven family, but God gives to human beings the ability to create families. That's amazing. Okay. Okay. Let me put it this way. How many of you in the room have kids? Grown or small or whatever, you have kids. Okay. So, um, okay, so all of you that have children... Uh, we're going to round up all your children, and now their parent becomes, oh, random anybody in the house. Gary is now the parent of all the children, and he will raise them. Somebody didn't have much confidence in you, Gary. I heard it. <laughs> would you let someone, even as awesome as Gary, would you just be like, yeah, Gary, you raise my kids with your values? No parent in the room. Think about this. Every single human being is made in God's image. And God created Adam. God created Eve. And then he gave to people the ability to create children. His creation made in his image that we raise. Think about that. He loves my children more than I do. They're his creation. They're made in his image. And yet he gave us, Mitch and I, the ability to make more of them. And to raise them. And to screw them up in numerous ways, I'm sure. Think about that. God could creation happen in any way he wanted. And he gave us the power of it to make more human beings with eternal souls in his image. And we get to raise them. That blows my mind. Because I would never let somebody else raise my children. And this is after the fall. He knew we'd screwed up. <laughs> and he still gave us that ability. Genesis 1, 25-28. Then God said, let us make man in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals in the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. 
Genesis 9, 5 through 7, he reiterates this. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. He says, go make people in my image. Populate the earth. This is a good thing. And we do it in covenant with him. That's the way he's made in. He made Adam, he made Eve, and said, now you, man, woman, in covenant with me, now go. Make more humans. Populate the earth and subdue it. Here's how God makes families. He makes them in covenant. This is his way of doing it. About covenant marriage last year, we're not going to go into it again, but if you want to go back about this time last year, you can get covenant marriage um, that, that on the podcast you can get it. But a covenant is a relationship made more intimate because it is binding and enduring. It is a legal relationship because it's more than a legal, it is a legal relationship, but it is more than a legal relationship and that what is made binding and enduring are these pledges of love. It was never God's intention that family would be created outside of the security of covenant. Think about the covenant we make in marriage. The covenant we make is what? To have and to hold from this day forward for richer, for poorer, if we make money, if we lose money, in sickness and in health, whether we're doing great, whether you're sick, until death we do part. Wow. That's a secure basis to create a family out of. Like, I'm committed to you. We're going to make some people, and we're stuck with them, and you, like, we're, we're all stuck together. Covenant. And the covenant we make, when Mitch and I made that covenant, it wasn't primarily to each other. The covenant we were making was with God. And the covenant we were making was not because I just love you so much, you make me feel awesome, let's get married. What is a covenant? That's like a very secular view of marriage. You make me feel good and so I'll get married. What is a covenant view of marriage? A covenant view of marriage is I'm partnering with God to help get you to the finish line. (laughs) You're going to stand before God. If you're married, you're going to stand before God and you're both going to look at the person you are married to and be like, wow, that's amazing. Can't believe what you did in us. How you partnered with us to bring this out of that person and that out of this person. Right? If you're submitted to covenant, you become more and more like Jesus through covenant. If you decide to have a bunch of control issues in covenant, you're miserable. How many of you have found that? Oh, so smart. Um, only a couple people raised their hands and I should have said, I should have said no. Okay. No. It's a good thing. If you get your heels on getting covenant, whew, you're going to have all kinds of problems. If my insecurities take over in covenant, I'm going to have all kinds of problems. Because when my insecurities are on the surface, I can't change. 
Because change isn't about, oh, here's a better way. Change becomes about, oh, I'm not good enough. God's so quiet in the house. But living with somebody else makes you face difficulties in yourself. And then you've got to make choices about those difficulties. You can come to them together and say, we're both going to stay present and sane, right? Because chances are one person struggling with staying present and one person struggling with staying sane. <laughs> I'm not going to get so scary that I drive you into a cave <laughs> and you're not going to go to your cave, right? We're both going to stay present and actually deal with what's on the table. It's so quiet. This part's all free. Covenant. That's very different than as long as you make me happy, I'm with you. If you have a worldview of relationship, right, then it's like as long as I have warm fuzzies. Have you ever heard the term, I just fell out of love? Well, then fall back in. I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Love is a verb, man. You don't fall in out of it, right? That's, if, that's totally an opposite view from a Christian point of view because it's not about I have warm fuzzies because if you're actually going to live in covenant with people, and I don't mean just marriage, but actually live in a, the, the church is called covenant people of God, then guess what? There's going to be moments where the rubber hits the road and you've got to make a decision if you're going to show up or not or if you're going to get crazy or not. Both things happen in church. <laughs> How many of you have been sitting through a sermon and you're like, ouch, Jesus, I see. I see, I see, I see, I see. Anybody ever have an ouch moment when the word comes out? If you haven't, I don't know. I'm afraid for you. I do every week, almost on the daily. God's gracious. So I have some days where he's like, you get a break today. But you constantly have this pinch, and it's not because God's like, I need you to fit a mold. It's because every single way that my life isn't lining up to him is a way that love and joy and peace is leaking out. And a bunch of poison is taking its place. And so we're being conformed to the image of Christ. To be a Christian is not to go to church and be a good citizen. Being a Christian is about being transformed to the image of Christ. It should turn your life upside down. And not just initially. How many of you have found the deeper you go with him, the more your life becomes upside down to our culture? We're going to come back to this next week. Let me just quickly go through a couple things that we're going to come back to next week, a few things. God gave us the ability to create families, which reflects the government of heaven, which is family, which tells you, Family is crucial to a stable society. It is the building block of society. Now, you don't have to be married and create your own family to be a part of that because you came from a family, right? But family is the building block of society. And you see in our culture right now what is under attack like nothing else. Family and what it means to be a family. And what defines a family? Because God defined it. But our culture wants to redefine it. 
and wants to make us feel like it's unloving to say God's way is the way. But actually, we know everything apart from God's way is going to bring difficulty and distress and brokenness. So it's not loving for us not to talk about God's ways, right? God gave us very specific instructions on how to establish family. Number one, don't be unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, verses 4 through 18. I won't read through all of them. I won't read through them, but I'll give them to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, 14 through 18. says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship has light with darkness? So if you're thinking about, hey, covenant marriage sounds good, what's the first thing? Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What does it mean to be yoked? Very few of us are farmers. Farmer Dennis is here, right? What does it mean to be unequally yoked? What do you do with a yoke? You put two oxen together and you yoke them a straight line together. Right? It says, why would you yoke to someone who's not going in the same direction you're going? What will happen to those oxen? Strife. I'm going this way. <laughs> it can't work. How many of you have seen this can't work? Right? Me and Dave have seen this can't work. Just me and you and Dave, just the two of us have seen it. It can't work. The Bible's not trying to be hard on people. What it's saying is, I'm giving you the way of blessing. And if you yoke yourself to someone who's an unbeliever, you're heading in two different directions. Things will go badly for you. And that is not what God wants for your life. And I mean, don't just find some dude or some woman who shows up in church. I'm not joking. <laughs> find somebody who loves Jesus, who's allowing their lives to be transformed to his image, who's humbled themselves before the cross and said, your way, not my way. Yeah? First thing, do not be unequally yoked. The second thing he says, only the covenant of marriage can support sex. All the kids are upstairs. Okay, here we go. Real quick, because we don't have a lot of time. We'll deal with more of this next week. Only the covenant of marriage can support sex. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 6, 8, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Matthew 5, 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust after her in his heart has already committed adultery. I mean, there's like a thousand, right? And it's a hard issue. It's not first a physical issue. Matthew 5, when you look upon people to lust after them in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And it's like, it's not gender exclusive. Women can lust. <laughs> right? It's a heart issue. The damage it does is first to your heart when you don't have covenant to support sex. Because when you have covenant, guess what? The person I'm intimate with, which is a like vulnerable position to be in, 
has just said, until you die, I'm with you. That's a lot of security to be vulnerable in. Outside of that, what do you have? Look at our culture that we fully accepted. Sex outside of marriage. Look at the culture. Look at, I feel so badly for like teenagers and young adults growing up right now. It's like someone pays for your meal and you owe them sex. What? What? All the young people are nodding their heads because they know it's true. What's wrong with you? We make movies like 40-year-old virgin, ha, 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 ha. That's a joke that you'd be a virgin after a certain age. We made it a joke. People feel all kinds of pressure to perform because the person you're having sex with has already had sex with 20 people and they're ranked, right? Look at the women's magazines, which by the way, I just wanna say, don't ever buy your children any of those magazines. <laughs> when you read some of the articles, like Teen Vogue is the worst. The articles in there are horrible. Let me just, well, I'm, I can't, we, can't, we don't have time, I can't go there. Maybe next week, okay. But what they're saying about what's normal is terrible. So even like in Teen Vogue, it's like the things he really wants you to do. Like teenagers should be thinking about, oh, I better have some sex moves so I can be like good at things. So I'll, come on, what is that? What does that do to someone's heart and soul? One of the coolest things about God saying, hey, no sex before marriage is you're in covenant, right? with somebody, you've got to come to support that, someone who's not going anywhere, and guess what? You're terrible at sex. You're terrible at it, because you've never done it. And that is part of the fun. If I can just be on, that's, isn't, it's part of the fun, like, is that it, did we do it? Yeah, okay. And then so, you get better. You get, your two is a lot more fun. You get better. But how fun is that? How fun is that? There's no pressure to, right? You gotta, right? How fun is that to be like, I am known by you. We don't know if there's other moves out there. We, <laughs> and all that stuff is nonsense. It's people who've already voided any value in sex trying to one-up it because they're not getting anything out of it. And the reason they're getting nothing out of it is they have no covenant to enrich it. Come on. Now listen. Oh, I'm sorry. I know we're late. When it comes to human sexuality, and we'll deal with more of this next week, when it comes to human sexuality, realize every single one of us is broken by the fall. Every single one of us. It's not about a heterosexual, homosexual issue. It's not about a this or that issue. All of us are broken by the fall. I can remember really early on why they have a single person doing marital counseling. I don't know, but they did. Um, I can remember a counseling session the husband had some issues, for sure. Um, but I can remember in the counseling session, like the wife was like very superior and very self-righteous, but she was clearly super broken too. And um, so he's like saying, here's what I'm struggling with and here's my issues. And she was like so triumphant over him. I remember looking at her and saying, so what ways are you broken sexually? And she was like, mad. She was mad. And she was like, I'm, she's like, I'm fine. I don't even really have sexual desires. Like, my desires meant by God. Like, my relationship with God fulfills me. And I was like, 
like you don't know that's broken. <laughs> um, like your coldness and superiority and your inability to develop any kind of intimacy with your husband because you're so good isn't a problem. Your coldness and reducing him to beggar status <laughs> isn't a problem. <laughs> like, like, I don't, I'm not saying he doesn't have problems, but let's work on all your problems. Like, let's, there's, right? There's a symmetry of problems here. Let's work on them. Because you're both broken. What about, what kind of religious veneer do you put on it to say, I'm so righteous because I'm in a marriage, but I don't have any sexual needs? Like, I don't know. That's broken. If you're not married, you've got to control, right? You've got to practice self-control. If you're in a marriage, like, there's no children in here. God put erogenous zones in your body, and you should be discovering all of them the person you married. That's what should be happening. That's what should be happening until you are 98 and dead. <laughs> That's what should be happening. Let me tell you, it is a, it's a barometer in your marriage. Now, I'm not saying sometimes you go through seasons where your libido is really low for different reasons, men and women. How many of you know you can share sexual intimacy without... A lot of other things, right? You don't, it, it's, it's the being together. It's the intimacy. It's the taking time, right? In a vulnerable position. That's crucial for your marriage. And even if you have like a low, if you're in a low season, um, you should be able to enjoy the intimacy with the person you're married to. Now, if the person you're married to is nice, and you're in a low season, there's a lot of things they can do to make it easy on you. <laughs> I'm just being real. But the reason I even go that far into it is because we have a lot of excuses for why we allow dysfunction and unhealth in that area, and we shouldn't. We've all been broken in the fall sexually, and God wants to bring us to health and to healing completely whether you're married, whether you're single. But as he tells us how to do marriage, do not be unequally yoked. And only the covenant of marriage can support sex. Let me tell you what, when I do premarital counseling, when I don't people that are already sexually active, I tell them I can't marry you unless you stop. I can't marry you unless you stop. Because that time of knowing who you're going to marry, and there should be intense desire if you're biologically intact, Right? That time is really important because you have all this desire to consummate that relationship and you're not allowing yourself to, which is going to be really important to have that kind of discipline in your marriage in terms of self-control and a whole bunch of other areas <laughs> other than sex. But the, the sex is like a shortcut. And in marriage, you need that. I mean, sometimes once kids come along and stuff, you're like, we got five. I mean, you know, you need, we just need to be connected, Right? You need that shortcut in marriage, but when you start taking that shortcut when you're not married, it bypasses all the foundation you're supposed to build. 
your communication, your talking, your experiencing each other in different situations, actively doing things together. You need to see what comes out of people. Without sex in the marriage, without sex in the relationship, so that you can actually see who you are. How are you doing? How are we doing in the room? Okay, we've just got to stop because I'm so far over. There's more we have next week. Uh, we're going to continue on what God says in terms of how to establish covenant, how to establish family, and then we're going to deal with some of our culture's issues um, that are really broken when it comes to sexuality just to see what the Bible says about those things. If you would stand, where of you would come? Here's what I want to call out today. Number one, we live in a culture that doesn't value hardly any of the things I just said about family, about marriage, about sexuality. Number one, here's what I call for. Number one, if you've made Jesus Lord of your life and you're still carrying condemnation from previous choices, God wants to set you free. God wants to set you free from that condemnation. You can't carry that around for the rest of your life. You can't carry around that kind of unworthiness and be who he wants you to be. That stuff will keep you limited for your whole life. So number one, in this room, if at this point in your life you're like, God, I'm going to make decisions that are in accord with you, and for some of you that's a journey because there's the decision to do that means a lot of different actions have to happen, and it might take some time, but that's what you purpose in your heart. God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do it your way then right now you need to allow him to release condemnation off your life. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He will whisper every single ear as long as you'll let him. You need to allow God by his Holy Spirit to come and free you from condemnation if you've chosen to follow him. If you haven't repented of that thing, if your life is still accommodating, things are apart from what God says, things are sin, then repent of that and make a decision today. God, I'm going your way. I'm doing what you're doing. If he's Lord, he's Lord over all of it or he's not Lord over any of it. For some of you today, this stirs up a lot of pain. There's just pain that gets stirred up with some of these conversations. And I just really believe that God's healing hand is in the house to heal, to preserve. There's times where God needs to take something and say, listen, um, it's like uh, if you've ever had like thousands of emails in your email box, sometimes you just have to say, we're just going to start over from zero. And I don't know what all was in there, but we're just going to call that a wash and start from zero. For some of you, you have family relationships maybe parents, maybe grown children, maybe siblings, maybe you've got family relationships where it's almost like God saying, you know what? Let's just zero it out and start again right here. You know? I don't know what all he's turned up for you. But let him do what he wants to do. Because whatever he's turned up for you, it's good. And he is good. And you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. Amen? You can trust him. Let him do what he wants to do. Let him do what he wants to do. Amen. Thank you, Father. We just receive everything you have.
truth saturate us would you just begin to renew our minds as your word says as we just set our hearts and our minds on on your word father thank you let it penetrate our hearts let it get here Thank you. 
still time to get prayer. I know some folks are still getting prayer. Craig and Tim are in back, and here we go, our ladies up front, Nancy and Twyla. There's still time to get prayer if you want prayer. I would just like to pray over all of us here, because all of us here are part of family in some way or another, in multiple ways for most of us, right? And I just want to invite God's blessing into our families. Yeah? I'm going to pray over all of us, but specifically, if you're the head of a household, would you just raise your hand? Head of a household, mom or dad, head of a household, raise your hand. If you're near somebody with their hand up, would you just put your hand on their shoulder? Father, the one from whom all families on earth derive their name. We just bless each family represented in this house. All of us in families, those are the head of families, Father. We bless them in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for supernatural wisdom. Wisdom that passes anything they could know in their own that comes right from your Holy Spirit. Wisdom that comes from you. Father, I pray for radical courage to show up, radical courage to lead, radical courage, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Radical courage to love really well, even when it's... Um, uh, just the intensity of it even would maybe drive us to get more inward. Father, I pray for radical courage to love really well. Thank you, Father. Father, and we just pray over every family in this room. Father, there are things that have come down for generations and family that are going to stop here in Jesus' name and go no further. Brokenness that's been there for generations is going to stop here in Jesus' name. Lord, your word says the righteous are blessed to a thousand generations. So, Father, we thank you for those that are righteous in these families. And we pray right now in Jesus' name for your righteousness to flow in Jesus' name. Areas that need healing, we pray to flow in Jesus' name. Areas where fear has taken hold and the families couldn't rise to be what they should be. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we pray for fear to go. You have given us courage. You've given us a sound mind and strength. And I pray that now for each family in the house in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, you're in every single detail. I pray for even all the struggles all the things that weren't done right, all those things. Father, you have a way of taking those things the enemy meant for harm and turning them around for good. Father, we believe right now in Jesus' name, no wasted detail, no wasted detail. You can take even those terrible things and turn them around for good in Jesus' name. You're working all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you, Father. 
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I pray specifically for every head of the household in this room against the enemy. The enemy's lie to you is going to be you're not enough. You don't know enough. You're not close enough to God. You're not spiritual enough to lead. Lies, lies, lies. All you've got to do is position your heart to God right now. That's all you have to do. He will meet you. He will meet you. Thank you, Father, for courage to believe we are who you say we are. You are sons and daughters of God. <laughs> you are sons and daughters of God. You are co-heirs with Christ. He will give you what you need. He will give you what you need to lead. He will give it to you. He's a good father. He's a good father. He's a good father. Would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation for us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. <laughs> Amen. 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 God bless you. Meet somebody new. Hug somebody. Encourage somebody. Love you.